Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, James Gunn's final MCU film is here. So we're giving you spoiler free and spoiler filled reviews of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And that means we're adding it to the tier list. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 260 of Real Blend, a podcast that stands in solidarity with the Writers Guild of America. My name is Sean O'Connell, and I'm a managing editor here at Cinema Blend, a co-host of the Real Blend podcast. And on this week's show, James Gunn's final MCU film is here. We're going to give our spoiler-free and spoiler-filled reviews of the latest Marvel movie. And that means we get to break out the tier list to see where Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 falls on the really messy list that we will look at later. And by we, I mean Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Kevin, sir, how are you? Sean, Jacob, Gabriel, good to see you guys. Good to see you as well. Uh, Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Jake, how are you today, sir? Uh, better because my Star Wars shirt that Sean bought me in London is on the way. It is. Should hit you by uh, the end of this week, I believe. Fantastic. Yes. A very small sized envelope. <laughs> that I sent this <laughs> it, go, it comes in just a regular in. paper envelope. <laughs> uh, and Gabe Kovach is joining us as well, too. Hello, Gabriel. How are you? I'm good. Good to see you, gentlemen. Good. We had a lot to get to. Uh, no interview this week, but we have a lot of news that's that's uh, bustling. So let's get to the housekeeping moment of the show. Uh, first, if you're watching us on YouTube. Hello. Uh, last week, I asked you guys to tell us where you're chiming in from. And the answers were outstanding. All over the place. I know. That was so cool. That's kind of what I thought. I thought we had a lot of people listening from a ton of different places around the world. Um, a lot of aspiring film students. And I'm going to get to uh, in a moment. I got a chance to attend um, that Zack Snyder event out in Los Angeles. And met a ton of Real Blend listeners, which was really, really cool. Um, people who listened to the show in depth while they're driving around in their cars and were quoting things back to me. That was just like deep, deep research into the into Real Blend. So you guys will appreciate that story in a bit. Um, either way, if you're watching us on YouTube, hello. We're at YouTube.com backslash Real Blend podcast to give us a like and a subscribe. Add a comment down below. And we appreciate you helping us grow the show out that way, including uh, talking about growing the show. If you want additional episodes, you can sign up for Real Blend premium you get an ad free version of the show a newsletter which i will get to you this week and a show an episode that drops on mondays uh go to the description where you're listening right here and find out how to sign up for real blend uh premium so i made a joke at the beginning of the show and kevin actually had a better joke should have switched over to it it was pretty good i uh, had to do with the writer strike um and we want to uh, timestamp that today is tuesday may 2nd and as of, I believe, 12.01 uh, this morning, the Writers Guild of America has decided to go on strike, something that hasn't happened in 12 years, 14 years, 14 years. Um, Jake, why don't you tell everybody why this is so important uh, and how come it's going to potentially impact their entertainment for the short time being? For sure. Well, I mean, we don't really know how how long you're right. The um, the 
it, it kicked off at midnight tonight. It's uh, after six weeks of negotiation between the Writers Guild of America and the Alliance Motion Picture and Television Producers. Um, they were trying to reach an agreement, and uh, as of, of midnight tonight, they couldn't, so the strike has occurred. Um, the last time the strike happened was November of 2007, and it lasted four months into uh, early 2008, and it had a massive ripple effect. You'll often remember, you know, for me, the, um, the, the walking, talking example of uh, the the strike at that time were two things, just how bad Transformers 2 was. Mm-hmm. And if you remember the really horrible plot line in Friday Night Lights where Landry killed a guy, that's the result of uh, the writer strike. Um, <laughs> a really, really horrible truncated second season that resulted in uh, a random character murdering someone. That's the writer strike, kids. Um, so a lot has happened over the last 14, 15 years. Um, obviously, in terms of Hollywood, the introduction of the streaming platforms. Uh the writers are not being paid uh, fairly for the way in which uh, their work is being utilized. Oftentimes they're being paid just a small flat fee and that's it, as opposed to uh, in the days of syndication. You know, if they wrote an episode and it aired in syndication, they would be paid over and over and over again. And unfortunately, that's not really happening. So they're looking to, um, you know, as as the business has changed, so should their compensation. And they're looking for a compensation change. Um, you know, uh, a story that I read that I thought was heartbreaking was the guy who writes The Bear, uh, nominated for and I believe won the WGA award mm-hmm. for writing, um, basically had to go into debt in order just to attend the WGA and wear a suit and buy a tie what? because of how little he's being paid. Oh, wow. Uh, there's a, a famous story of... Um, you know, the I, I, one of the, the writers on Saw uh, had to work at a, his bar shift on opening weekend because of how little he was being paid. So, oh you know, I, I, I think I think, you know, oftentimes we think, you know, if a writer's attached to a big project that they're just rolling in the dough and they're Scrooge McDuckin it into their their room of coins. And that's not how it works. Another big talking point that, that is, I think, very interesting um, is they're looking to protect themselves from artificial intelligence. You know, I really feel like this whole AI thing has just exploded in conversation just this year. I felt mm-hmm. like last year we weren't talking about it. And all of a sudden, not only are we talking, I feel like like it, there was not a progressive conversation about this thing. I felt like someone turned on a switch and one day it was there and one day it wasn't. Maybe I missed a lot, but uh, they're looking to protect themselves to make sure that, uh, you know, Hollywood doesn't just start using AI to churn out screenplays and that they don't start practices of uh, bringing in human writers, for lack of a better word, to basically polish up AI screenplays and then pay them less for mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of topics on the table right now. Um, this is just a, this is going to be an ever evolving kind of story. Um, just based on today, the first day of the strike, May second, when when we are recording, just a quick timestamp. All the late night shows have already shut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, set this upcoming Saturday Night Live's episode with Pete Davidson has already been canceled. Um, uh, Abbott Elementary has announced that like they are st- shutting down production and that their third season could be deeply impacted. Uh, but then on the flip side, and, and I think this deserves some context as well, you hear stories like, uh, you know, House of the Dragon say, oh, we're fine because all of our screenplays were already done by the time we started production. So we're going to keep going which is fine. And heroes did something similar on the second season and, and faced a similar repercussion, which is this. Most people are sleeping on the fact that whether the screenplays are complete or not, most 
uh, sets still have an on-site writer mm-hmm. that's there for you know uh, you know touch-ups on the script or for adjustments or for this or that or or if an actor says well this doesn't really make sense because my character character that so, you know they can sit down and work on that none of that that I mean so it it is you know the the idea that a writer's job is simply to put pen to paper and then hand over that sheet of paper to someone else is is not right they they mm-hmm. are an, uh, an uh, a massive part of an ever-evolving process of which they are now no longer a part of um, so sure. The House of the Dragon scripts are technically complete, but they're not because you're not really complete until that whole till the episode is filmed and shot and done. Right. Um, so even the even the productions that are bragging that oh yeah we we we're good we don't really need them no you're not right and you're and you're the quality of a show is likely going to suffer. Well, Daniel Craig in talking about Quantum of Solace, which is mm-hmm. the infamous James Bond movie sure. that got caught in the middle of a strike, sure. um, said that. As they tried to make changes during the production, the only ones who were really um, permitted to make changes were him and Mark Forster. Like those sure. are the only two trusted. And Craig was like, and I'm not a writer in any way, shape or form. So, you know, as they added in things or tweak things, according to him, they were terrible <laughs> because yeah. he's not equipped to do it. So there, there are a lot of um, uh, TV shows and series of movies that if I were to put it in front of you and say, watch it from start to finish. And tell me where you think the writer strike happened. Mm. You'd probably be able to figure it out, whether it's Lost or James Bond or Trans. Well, maybe not Transformers because I'm not <laughs> sure it really got much better. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's it's very much like find the gaping hole of quality. And if that's not a testament to the power of writers and the skill of writers and the importance and the need of writers, then I don't know what is. Yeah. No, so so pay them. Kevin's right, I'm, I'm, finished. I'm, I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> Did they finish writing Oppenheimer or is it going to be in jeopardy of pushing back? It's a great question. I don't know. It's never finished. Tennis it's never not finished. even hasn't finished. Happened yet. It hasn't <laughs> happened yet. <laughs> Nolan writes backwards on paper <laughs> in pencil. Um, so I want to talk to you guys about an event that I got to attend this past weekend yes. uh, called Full Circle. Yes. Um, oh, wait, I- it was called Full Circle? Yeah, yeah, that was the okay. I thought whenever you kept writing hashtag Full Circle, I thought it was you meant just because it was Full Circle for you. Well, it was it was very much full circle for me, but it was also full circle for Zack Snyder. And that's why he kind of dubbed it that event. Um, This was his opportunity. uh, He was explaining to me that because of um, Mike DeLuca and Pamela Abdi, the new um, regime at Warner Brothers, that they contacted the Snyders and they said, um, look, we essentially want to make right between uh, us and like Warner Brothers and and you guys. so what would you like to do? And they said, well, we would love to be able to screen these, these three movies in proper format and give justice league a proper IMAX uh, screening, something which it did not get. And um, that the previous regime would not let them do, even though a hundred percent of the proceeds from the tickets went to uh charity, went to the uh, American foundation of suicide prevention. So you would think Warner brothers would have let them do that prior to, but either way they got a chance to do it. So um, out in Pasadena, on Friday and Saturday, Zach screened the uh, Man of Steel on Friday and then Batman versus Superman Ultimate Edition on Saturday. And then on Sunday, they had the big IMAX screening at the City Walk uh, for uh, Justice League for the four hour Zack Snyder's Justice League. And as part of that panel, uh, they had Chris Terrio, the writer, uh, Ben Affleck showed up, Ray Fisher showed up, and it was conducted by Ray Porter, who voices Darkseid. But your moderator for Saturday night was none other than Real Blend co-host. Yeah. And Kevin author McCarthy. of Release the Snyder Cut, 
Sean O'Connell. <laughs> and I just want to let you guys know that it went incredibly, incredibly well. And I got a re- I got a really nice messages from a bunch of blenders. I got to meet a ton of real blend people uh, who came up to me at the event at Man of Steel. One guy who was, who was driving down from Sacramento says he listened to us the entire drive and he <laughs> said he is... Uh, up to date on the most recent episodes and now is currently working his way backwards oh, from when he joined oh. the show. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I did can I, warn him. Can I it interject gets one thing? Yeah, sure. Uh, just, I just really, really, really want to double down and reinforce that we acknowledge the fact that Zack Snyder picked you to do this. Correct. Yes. Uh, I, which was I, very, I think very cool. He picked three people and yeah. one of them was his film professor. One yes. of them was an actor in his film. Yes. And the other one was you. Which I'm I'm very very happy about, and also uh, selfishly, I've, the Q and A at uh, the City Walk on Sunday was much more difficult um, because of the setup of the auditorium. It became really difficult to get microphones to the people in the crowds, and also they were on a time crunch because AMC needed the theater to show Mario <laughs> right <laughs> after. <laughs> I mean, you're coming off a four-hour movie and a Q&A. Like, the theater was like, hey, all right. Mario's really trying to make enough money to justify yeah. its budget. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, th- that movie's struggling. So I think we had a little more relaxed atmosphere where we were. And so the Q&A got to roll a lot better. And it went, I thought it went really, really well. So I'm really happy for the Snyders that they got this opportunity uh, to screen this. I, I really thought for Insiders, they'll know that there was supposed to be a Green Lantern scene at the end of justice league but and and zach shot it in his driveway with wayne t Carr uh playing uh, green lantern and the studio made him pull it because they have plans for green lantern specifically john stewart the strong green lantern is that the story that snyder told on our show yes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. every people shot that footage yeah, yeah go back and listen because when justice league was released snyder's justice league was released on hbo max we had zach on for i think it was 30 or 45 minutes and the driveway story was was part of that, which was really, really cool. And so, yeah, so and I thought it, he was yeah. going to include it because instead he puts in Martian Manhunter, um, who is a character from earlier in the film. Um, I thought he was going to include it for Sunday screening, but he wasn't even able to do it for that. They, wow. they still didn't let him do it. So and he basically <laughs> said in the Q&A, there's, there's probably no chance that he's going to get a chance to see that's it. going to get locked away someplace. So wow. was your was the um, the BVS Ultimate Edition the screening that obviously that the one that you hosted, was it in the, was it in the one, three, three, four by three ratio? Was it boxed? Yes. It All right, was cool. Uh, yeah, on a traditional cool. screen, but oh, I noticed, yeah, I know, but I did notice the scenes where it went to the, the taller ratio. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember I saw BVS at city walk, which is where the justice league screening ended up being that Sunday. Right. And I thought, I want to say the BVS version that I saw was on 70 millimeter IMAX. Cause that's, that's, oh. that's a very big theater for IMAX. It's like an eight story screen. And that's where I think Nolan tests his dailies or used to test his dailies for his movies just to get the kind of the format. I've been in that projection booth. It's pretty cool. But in terms of BVS, like I, man, that movie had so many different formats in it. There's a GoPro shot in that movie at some point, I think on the Batmobile. Um, yeah. I mean, there's so many interesting camera choices that I think did Larry Fong shoot BVS. Oh yeah. Yes. He yeah. Did. Yeah. So, I mean like that is, it must've been really cool because 
that's I mean, first of all, I've only ever seen the theatrical BVS mm-hmm. in theaters. And then at home, obviously, I've, I, you know, when he released the R-rated cut on Blu-ray and 4K and then eventually the 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 proper IMAX cut of it came out on 4K where they had it boxed and it looked really great. And I think it was the one, three, three, the four, whatever it was, the ratio at that time. Um, but I've never seen the ultimate edition in theaters and I would well, love to said, see it that way. He said you get the blood. When Batman throws the crate against the guy and the guy hits yeah. the wall, you get a blood yeah. splat and a smear down the wall. Yeah, I remember I remember interviewing him at the BVS junket, asking him about the R-rated cut. And that's the exact shot the scene that he referred to, because right, the right. warehouse, the warehouse scene to me still, in my opinion, is my favorite Batman scene ever in movies. Like, it's just ever? such an amazing scene. I mean, I love The Dark Knight. Obviously, Dark Knight, I think, is a better film overall. I think Nolan's film is better. And, and just in terms of like good Batman scenes, though. filmmaking. I, but I, and I have said this before on the show. I think Bale's Batman. Uh, it in really my, loves the hockey pad scene. Yeah, Bale's Batman to me is not the reason why I love The Dark Knights. It's, it's really the filmmaking and Ledger, and I think Bale's a phenomenal Bruce Wayne. To me, uh, Affleck Batman is the best Begins Batman. has better Batman scenes. It yes, does. I agree with that. Yeah, well, because the, the voice got worse over the films. Like Once you got to Dark Knight Rises... It sounded oh. like he was growling. Right. Like See, that, that makes sense to me. Like in the terms of the story, that makes sense to me. Mm. And now, now we're getting off on a tangent. But like the he's he's literally like he's literally the, one of the most like famous people on the planet. Okay, like he's but remember, got to. But listen to Affleck. Affleck sounds awesome. Oh, like, he's got well, he's so got sick. the technology. The ca- the, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And but that's kind of what I when I when I heard Affleck. Anyway, I know we're going off on a tangent. But when yeah. I heard so Sean, Affleck's, congratulations. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this well, is great. I wanted to ask you because I texted you this, you know, we've been we all been doing this for a long time. Emotionally, for you to get that opportunity is a really big deal. Like I remember and I told you this over text. I used to buy Snyder's movies on Mm -hmm. Blu-ray and DVD just to study his filmmaking schools. Like he had this really cool thing on the Watchmen Blu-ray where he Mm -hmm. would walk out on screen and he would explain the movie. And I would always dream of just somehow thanking him or meeting him or just asking him some type of filmmaking question. And obviously through the jobs that we get to do, we get to, to talk to him. We've had him on real blend before and he's been fantastic, but to be at an event that means so much to him to also host that Q and a, to be given that opportunity and that uh, uh, he respects you enough to give you that opportunity. Um, that is insane. I mean, like at the end of the day, we've insane in a good way. Like you deserve it. But what I, at the end of the day, we're all fans of this and, yeah. and, and these are, these are films and filmmakers that we are genuinely fans of. Um, but to be personally asked to do something like that is such an honor. And then also to see it in that format, in that theater. Um, I mean, Snyder is just such a laid back guy, but he's just also somebody that I've studied so much. Um, well, but it's so cool that you got to do that, man. It, so proud it was. Of you. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that because it was, and I've been, I've been sort of saying this too. It's, it's a vote of confidence in the book that I wrote. You know, because I, I I don't know. I still can't. I don't still don't know whether for sure he read it or not. But someone he trusts must have read it uh, to tell I him whether or not it. it was bad or not. Um, and if it was bad, then they wouldn't still be having me join kind of thing. Have you flat out asked him if he read the book? No, I haven't asked him. That's, are you are you afraid of the answer? Yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because if he just says no, then I'll just feel like a, a dick. Basically, I feel like you getting invited says all you need to. I know think so too. About his basically. thoughts on the book. Yeah. Also, and then 
Yeah. People I was having realize this- that story. I mean, like, like, again, I know we've discussed this in the show a million times, but as we sit here now, we're, we're past the story. The movies come out. We got Justice League, et cetera. But if you actually go back and put yourself in those moments in time about like the release of it, with is it going to happen? I remember Sean and I during the pandemic, Sean and I, this is why it's so cool that Sean got to do this. I remember during the pandemic, Sean and I got on like, I think we got on a FaceTime or a Zoom together and tuned in to Snyder sitting in his movie theater, which was the day that uh, Cavill joined and they announced the cut was being released. Yep. And that was such a massive deal yeah <laughs> and then sean yeah. wrote a whole book about this story if yep. you haven't read it definitely read it um and yeah just literally full so circle. i was saying and i was yeah to, to complete the full circle analogy i was saying that that this is this event ends up becoming closure for my whole journey yeah. you know uh, since the time i started to to write this story to and validation i've gone through and it ends on a it ends on the on the best possible note that I that I could have gone gone off on. So I am extremely, extremely happy that it went well. And, and uh, that and and that fandom, you know, as we all know, film Twitter and fandom can, can get very toxic. It doesn't matter. Not just Snyder, but like MCU, all film has all toxic them. fandom. Star um, Wars. And what I think Sean realized this weekend is like there's so much negativity online and so much negativity on Twitter. Mm. And then you step out into the real world and you actually meet real people and you start to talk to people and interact with them face to face. And you start hearing the words that you had hoped would come from the material you've given. And and it's just a, a, a gentle reminder that Twitter and social media are very small portions of our of, of our population in terms of the way people feel about these movies. And I think Sean's a great testament to understanding that meeting people who actually are you know affected by this story and these books and it's it's a whole different realm and we gotta we gotta we really gotta need to step outside of that sometimes and remember that there's a bigger much bigger world than social media because i was receiving threats like physical threats um before going to the event of even just like hey i can't be there but if anyone sees sean o'connell make sure you swing on him kind of thing so I was like, this is going to be really interesting. <laughs> yeah. And pe- um, I, people I, online are just really, really negative. But then you and then you have the guy himself who chooses you. So just remember, yeah. you know, I did see uh, I did see somebody point that and that's the thing. You never know what's a fake account. What's like it's just so convoluted that it's hard to take anything at face value when it's an anonymous comment, obviously, as to what you're getting at. Um, yeah. But I did see someone that felt like the the full circle event was like a moment where they were like, Hey guys, whether you like him or not, like we kind of have to accept that like he was invited to this and he did a good job. And like, yeah. maybe that's just like, we just need to not, not be worried about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, you know, whether, whatever yeah. their opinion is of you is their opinion, but they, they don't need to, Campaign oh, I, I really appreciated the the tweet that said uh, at Kevin McCarthy TV and at Jake's Takes should be hosting I, this. Someone thing. actually that was, did. Someone did. Write that, <laughs> which was actually that was my and, mom. And that person I, yeah. was Kevin's mom. Ke- Kevin's yeah. mom. My she, mom. Might, she wasn't wrong either. Yeah. And, and you know that that tweet you said about someone swinging at you? That was my mom too. <laughs> mom also. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> She's, She's like, feeling she, spicy lately. She, she really wanted me to host that event. She was angry. <laughs> 
let's see. Okay, so uh, Kevin and I last week talked about um, Ari Aster's new film, Bo is mm. Afraid. <laughs> and we're gonna I'm gonna take my headpiece out because Jake, I do want to see this fresh we're not doing because spoilers. I have not seen it but even yeah. still they, like this movie in particular I kind of I know nothing about so I really yeah. do kind of want to just opt totally. out so give me a wave for the best so we have said that um, we would get into it and um, give you guys some some uh, what am I trying to say some insight into how the two of us felt yeah uh, during this and um, I'll go first uh, and then I'll, I'll pass to Kevin. And what I will say is that Kevin liked it more than I did, but it's not, I'm not trying to say to you that I did not like it. Um, I'm trying to say to you that it went, it went way too strange for me. I was on board with it for, for at least an hour and it's a three hour movie. So you should know that going into it. And Kevin's going to stress heavily how uncomfortable it makes you feel. (laughs) How You feel like you're going through, um, like an anxiety attack. And, and it, it is this, there's less of a structure to the movie than there is just Ari Aster and uh, Joaquin Phoenix visualizing basically everything that makes him uncomfortable <laughs> or afraid. <laughs> and it could be it, in the beginning, I was having such a good time with it because it was really clever. Like I'll give you one example that's out of context and it's not a spoiler in any way, shape or form, but Joaquin shows up at his apartment and there's a sign on the door that there is a was a recluse brown spider. One of those poisonous <laughs> spiders um, is loose in the building. Right. So please be careful because if you get bit, you're going to die. Essentially, he yeah, sees brown, this sign brown, on his door. brown recluse. Right. I think is the name yeah. of the spider. So he opens up his apartment door and now we're there's a shot from inside the apartment and you see in the corner of the, on the carpet, you see the spider mm-hmm. and it scurries away underneath the couch. So in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, fuck the spiders for the next like 30 minutes or something like that. You're worried <laughs> about this. You worry about. Yeah. And that's like one example of like a hundred examples of things that are coming out. And initially I thought it was really, really funny, but, but to me, maybe about the hour and a half mark, I, I don't know what time this happens, but it's the moment that a character drinks paint directly from the paint bucket <laughs> where I said, um, I appreciate what, what you're trying to do here, sir. Um, but I'm no longer in on board with, with the journey. Um, and so, and I even do think the stuff that happens in the second half of it is way more exaggerated than the first half of it. Um, including a bit with Parker Posey mm-hmm. and, and then the final, uh, the, the final sequence of where Joaquin is being judged um, for essentially everything he's ever gone through. So, uh, it's funny because Kevin, you were calling it his best. I thought it was his worst, if only because I didn't. I don't think it's nearly as um, accessible as the other two. Like even though Midsommar and um, Hereditary are strange movies, I, you could at least understand what. For me, even Midsommar, which is truly bizarre, you can comprehend what Florence's character is going through. There's just a lot of mm. really weird stuff happening to her in this, and I know it's intentional. You can never really tell what's real and what isn't. Mm. Um, And I know that they want you to feel that way because even the opening scenes where Joaquin is like facing a lot of his anxieties, it's hyper uh, realized, you know, like there's chaos in the streets. There's a tattooed man who will scare the daylights out of me. The more I think about him Um, (laughs) and really weird stuff, but I can't fault the the filmmaking because I think that it's brilliant filmmaking. Um, I just, the story lost me. So you didn't, you had less of a problem with that. 
Yeah, I mean, you touched on the thing that I found interesting about it was so personally, I deal with a lot of anxiety and depression. I've had it all my life, been in therapy all my life, been on medications all my life. Um, So a lot of my life in terms of anxiety comes from this concept of what's real and what's not real. And as somebody with anxiety and you know this, Sean, because we we, we share anxiety, um, there's a concept of like believing something is real when it's not or like or or diving into a hole deeper and making situations worse in your mind than they really are. And I think what Ari Aster was trying to capture was that juxtaposition between the concept of like when you lose reality, what and then how do you gain traction back into your real life? And I think the film is going back and forth on those lines the entire time and it gets jumbled into a blurry mess, which is kind of what that feels like the, that, the of, of what uncertainty and anxiety feels like. Um, if it's a, if it's a film experience that like you're going to the movies to escape and get out and watch something entertaining, this is not <laughs> like this is meant, at least in, in my opinion, it gave me a certain catharsis and therapy just to watch it play out the way it did in a filmmaking cinematic way, because it gave me an understanding of, Oh, like how my mind operates. Not that I'm going through these situations and thinking like he is. It just found a really interesting balance of like, Oh wow, this is kind of what this feels like. And regardless of whatever situation you're in, but even the spider situation, that's a, that's a kind of a brilliant piece of filmmaking because in every single bit post the spider until whatever happens with that spider, becomes that much more intense Mm -hmm. and so much more fascinating, which is why I think you like that opening aspect of the film, because those there were things that were tangible that you could grab onto. And then as the film goes deeper and deeper, it does it does spiral out of a very interesting and insane aspect with Parker Posey and Mariah Carey. There's just so many interesting aspects of the film that yeah, (laughs) you'll you'll never think of Mariah Carey the same ever again. (laughs) but I, so I saw this in IMAX and it was incredibly uh, well made from a cinematography score direction. I think Joaquin's brilliant. It's my favorite Ari Aster movie because Joaquin's her, great. Hereditary and Midsommar just there. Those are again, this is not really a criticism of the film. They're just so brutal mm-hmm. and so and, and so disturbing. Um, Bo is afraid is disturbing, but it's. It's a different type of disturbing. Like it's hard to explain how I laugh during it. Yeah, there's <laughs> Midsommar. I remember the opening of Midsommar with the with the parent, with the family, with the garage and the car and like the hmm. gas. Like I just remember feeling so disturbed by that. And same thing with Hereditary when with the with the decapitation in the car. I just hmm. there are moments in those films that, that those are scenes that I wish I could erase from my mind <laughs> because they're just really disturbing. And maybe just the older I get, the less I want to watch things like that. But, but I already know that Midsommar and Hereditary are extremely well-made films. They're brilliantly directed and, and performed. And Tony Collette's amazing in Hereditary and Florence Pugh's amazing in Midsommar. Um, but I just they're just not films that I, I, I want to revisit. I probably won't revisit Bo is Afraid either. Um, but they're interesting experiences. And I you really dive into the voice of the filmmaker and his anxieties. And it does give you a perspective of maybe how an anxious mind works. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a three hour panic attack. That's what it feels like. It took me a couple days to come down from it. And if this doesn't sound like I'm selling the movie, it probably sounds like I'm telling you not to watch it. But I thought it was it was excellent. Um, well, that, I, I just, stressed that too last weekend. You were talking about it when yeah. I, even when I was saying like 
I, I wasn't crazy about it. I still think you should go see it. Like, I it's still fascinating. Think there's so yeah. much stuff going on. It, and, and I haven't stopped thinking about it since yeah. seeing it. So yeah. there's a chance I might even watch it again. Also, I had never seen a film that bizarre on that scale, mm. um, because generally speaking, when you go see a film in IMAX and this film filled the full screen, I mean, whatever, however, whatever ratio he shot it in one nine oh or one seven eight, whatever it was, it filled the full IMAX screen. Um, generally, an IMAX film is a Chris Nolan movie or it's a it's an MCU film or Guardians of the Galaxy Volume three. And those are the types of films you generally go for an IMAX experience that sound when you're watching something R rated, disturbing, really out there and just like panicky in IMAX. It takes it to a different level because you have the full sound of the IMAX theater. You have the full screen of the IMAX theater. The sound design is really great. Oh, and you're at a three hour panic attack. So immersion becomes really the key there. Um, I don't I haven't seen the film in any other format except for that. But I would imagine that that was probably the most bizarre film I've ever seen on that scale. I think and of another IMAX, a horror IMAX. I'm trying to think of like, I mean, listen, there have been there have been R rated movies that have played in IMAX for sure. Sure. But Bo is afraid is a very different animal. <laughs> Bo is afraid is uh, like I've just never seen things like that that big. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and there are things that you're going to wish you hadn't seen that large right, on a right. screen. Um, yeah. But listen, <laughs> one thing listen, in particular. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I'll end it with this. I really thought it was excellent. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm telling everybody to go out and see it. It is a very, very immersive, panicky, anxiety inducing experience that will stay with you. Um, if you're looking for a Saturday night out, like a date night with, you know, a loved one, it's probably not the best choice to go to see that. Unless um, they like bizarro film, like that, which is possible. That, but yeah. you've never seen anything like this before. And right. that's the last thing I'll say about it. I had no idea where it was going. And to be honest with you, like we watch so many movies and so many trailers these days that you you're just waiting for that scene and this scene to come up and that scene to happen. You know, this is coming and that's coming. I had absolutely no idea. I was yeah, literally riveted. I was just my jaw. I, I think at some point I remember like screaming. I was like, I, I remember one point I was so freaked out. That spider freaked me out so much. Um, yeah, so yeah. anyway, so if you're an Ari Aster fan, recommend it. Um, go back and check out our interview with him from Bidsomar. Fascinating mm -hmm. guy. Um, I wanted to get and, him on for this. We tried. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't even know what he would say about this. Everything's on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> like basically. It's, basically, it's basically him having a therapy session yeah. for three yeah, hours. In a big, long way. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know some people have said in the comments down below that they have seen it already. If you did get a chance to check it out, hit us up in the comments. Let us know what you think. Yeah. Um, I think at this point now, we can start talking even theories. If you guys want to leave a little bit of details, maybe just yeah. put like a spoiler up at the top and let us know some like how it affected you or some of the things that were interesting to you. I definitely. This is also one of those movies that you have to, the whole credits are part of the movie. So like yeah, when, yeah. remember the ending credits are the film is still going. Yes. While the credits are rolling fully. So there is still things happening in the film. Yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting how that was timed out. I won't say anything else about it, right. but the, the, yeah, the end around. credits. Yeah, stick around. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and we're going to throw it to a break and then come back with this week in movies. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. 
Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. And we are back. Okay, we're going to get into this week in movies. Kev is going to step away while we record this, and Jake and I are going to tackle Guardians of the Galaxy review. I want to let you guys know that there is going to be a spoiler-free version that we will start off with, and then we'll get around into specific spoilers um, when we do the Marvel tier list, which I think is going to surprise surprise a few people. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, I named last week as my most anticipated uh, of summer 2023 and at the time my reasoning for it even though i knew it was the first movie of the summer and kind of takes me out of the game pretty early in the stages uh i said i needed marvel to be great again i really needed marvel to kind of bounce back and um reclaim some of its glory days i i have enjoyed some of the stories from phase four i don't mind the movies when they happen but i i completely accept the fact that the drop in quality from phases one and two and and even most of three is not there anymore. And I, I don't know. I was giving Marvel a lot of rope uh, to say they're setting up a bunch of new characters. Um, they're exploring a new phase. It's hard to come up, you know, after Endgame and Infinity War and Endgame where you were concluding an entire saga. There's a lot of stuff that had to be done to, to set up the multiverse, which I think is a confusing concept. And now there's different things happening off the scenes that are going to be complicated for Marvel. First off, it was the um, COVID shutdown and production, which I think really hurt their visual effects because their visual effects have been have been weak, in my opinion, lately. Now the script, you know, the, the Writers Guild strike, it depending on how long that lasts, could really affect their productions moving forward. Um, but I thought Guardians uh, Volume 3 would be the one that like was a just a slam dunk. It was Gunn coming back to the franchise to conclude the trilogy. Uh, it's characters that we all largely love, you know, the sort of offbeat um, Rolling Stones version of the Avengers as opposed to the Beatles version of the Avengers. Uh, and it was going to be from everything Gunn said, an emotional story based around Rocket Raccoon. And it is very much that. But man, I just didn't really <laughs> fall for this movie uh, as much as I wanted to. Um, I, there, there are elements of it that I really did like, and there are a lot of elements of it that I thought were completely unnecessary to um, to pump up a two and a half hour runtime that I felt. Um, I was checking my watch often because um, I even thought the pacing in in a number of the scenes didn't really go anywhere. Um, it wasn't nearly as funny as I want a Guardians movie to be. I think the Guardians movies have been some of the funniest uh, to date because uh, Drax gets a number of great lines and Batista has really good comedic timing. Star-Lord is really funny as well, too. Um, and, and I hate to lump this. I hate to, to put this kind of, of a label on it by saying it's not fun because I think by design, it's meant to be a much heavier and a much darker story for the Guardians. But as a send off 
to me, it wasn't this kind of celebratory send off. And I think I can explain a little bit more when we get into the spoilers, but pacing um, the villain who I thought his motivations were all over the place and, and even just the production of it uh, made it feel kind of stale and routine. And I, I think I'm even more positive than, than Jake was. So Jakey Harrett, where do you fall on that on that scale? Yeah, uh, this is my far and away my least favorite of the Guardians trilogy. I think it's uh, a mess of a film. Um, I do think there are a couple of moments that if you remove from the, the the entirety, you can look at it and go, OK, that individual moment was nice. But I think it's a, a, a weirdly small film to end such a big trilogy. And it boils down to. Uh, a two and a half hour film that asks the question, what if someone were mean to your dog? Which mm-hmm. like, sure. I mean, I get it, but I just felt like a lot of the, um, the moments that were going for emotions felt a little cheap because it, it sort of felt like, uh, you know, showing someone be mean to baby rocket raccoon or, and, and, and so many of the animals felt a little like not really earned like that. That's easy. Like, I, I feel like most people could write a script that's like makes you hate the villain and makes you feel sympathy for an animal if you show someone being mean to them like this. So that I wasn't particularly impressed by those moments where they were going for the emotion uh, when when showing the the elements with a with a young rocket. Mm. I, you know, I really feel like. Since Marvel has gone more uh, galactic, I've really just kind of started checking out. You know, these movies have really turned. You know, I, I I was thinking about it more. I was like, why why am I having such a hard time with Marvel lately? And I really do feel like I just don't feel tethered to these characters into their reality at all. You know, it, it, we used to get, you know, Captain America running through Times Square and now we're getting, you know, Paul Rudd standing in front of a green screen and it's mm. just, it's not working as much for me. There were so many sequences that kind of felt like James Gunn thought this would be cool. And also this moment would be cool. And also I think this is cool. Uh, and, and just found a very loose way to tie them all together. Mm-hmm. I didn't really feel a chemistry with the actors this time around, you know, like the, the guardians are, are sort of my, my favorite group to watch interact with each other. Mm -hmm. And they have yielded some of that interaction has yielded some of the, the best moments in the entirety of the MCU. Mm -hmm. And this one kind of felt like they all just showed up and read the lines and were over it. Quite frankly, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Gamora being the quote unquote different Gamora. I felt like really took a lot of oomph away from uh you know from it uh it didn't really feel like Groot had anything to do um it didn't really feel like he was given much of a personality mm-hmm. you know it felt like uh so much of this script honestly felt like a first draft it mm-hmm. felt like you know you kind of turn in this and so to say this is kind of the general direction of what we're going to go in but i'm going to punch it up and then they just never punched it up mm-hmm. um I agree with you 100% did not feel funny to me the emotions didn't feel entirely earned because it felt more uh going after uh, easy points and not like, uh, you know, looking after look, looking at it. It didn't feel like a conclusion of a whole, you know, whenever yeah. I'm seeing people like, oh, it's the, the, the greatest you know finale of the greatest Marvel trilogy. I'm like, well, is it? Because I'm pretty sure the Captain America trilogy and the Spider-Man trilogy exist. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, so no, I was uh, the, and you know, it's funny. I, I walked out of that movie disappointed going, I did not like that. And uh, the more and more I've thought about it since the, the week that's passed, I seem to be liking it even less as I think about it. I'll honestly probably never watch it again. Um, mm-hmm. I did not expect to like it uh, less than two. I, I thought two was fine, but I was really hoping to like this one more. Um, but I, this was I was really hoping that this would be 
sort of my last grasp of of the OG days of Marvel, the the last yeah. remnants of when I used to like them. And not even this could be that for me. So this kind of feels like my my final nail in the in the Marvel coffin of like maybe these movies just aren't for me anymore. Damn. Gabe, you liked it more than that, though, huh? Yeah, I I liked it a lot more than than both of you. I wouldn't mm. say that I uh, not to start with, a, you know, hedging it. I wouldn't say that I, I love it or that it's my my favorite of them. But there is a lot that I love about it. I think it worked for me. Um kind of across the board like I didn't I didn't feel a lull I wasn't checking my my watch as far as the the structure of it or kind of how the plot moves around to me that felt pretty kinetic um and I and I felt the characters were were done justice like I felt like we were getting for the first time in a while with Marvel I felt like I was getting a new chapter with a group of these characters instead of um check out what we're going to that coming next sort of thing it felt like it was really about their story can we do that and shift into spoilers because there's things i'd like to talk about you know that are yeah, specific I'll, to that. I'll give my i'll quickly round off spoiler free okay. and then we can go right into spoilers i just think that the uh the, the one thing that i really pulled out of it was i think that he had a very uh strong central message and idea that he reinforced throughout the script which is the idea of empathy uh, the idea of empathy for for everyone around you and for everything around you. Um, and I think that that branches off into the idea of, you know, something like second chances, which I, I maybe we'll never know. Maybe he's discussed this. If that's something he leaned more into, given the sort of behind the scenes nature of him being off of this and then back on it. I don't know if that's something that, you know, uh, whenever they were in production that he felt more, you know, he punched up more. Um, but I think all the way down to the villain the movie is, is discussing empathy and how we need to feel for one another, uh, feel for the people around us and focus on what makes us good and what makes us, um, what can make us appreciate each other versus the bad, uh, or what we, what we don't like or what doesn't work. And I think that that central message, I love when, I think that's the, I think that's when superhero movies are at their best is when they take a simple message like that, like care for one another and then personify that, um, into a big, bad, or uh, a group of great, you know, sort of heroes. And I think this does mm. that in a good way. So I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I haven't spent the last week obsessing over it and dying to see it again. Not that that, you know, is a prerequisite, but but I absolutely loved it more than, than you guys did, I think. Well, let's transition into some spoiler talk about it. Um, and I think Jake kind of hit the nail on the head for me. It's that um, the Guardians don't work as a team uh, at all in this one. They are like the the idea that Gamora is in Gamora is is where the story took them. But I think it's very um, it it doesn't it wasn't satisfying to me the way that it resolved. And maybe that's maybe that that's OK. Like, you know, he she needed to go off and, and join the Ravagers and and realize that she's not with this family anymore. But it was a, it was a, I wasn't expecting that message. I wasn't expecting the message that by the end of them, they were all going to go their own separate ways. Yeah. And and that's what James Gunn wanted them to do. And I understand that. But it led to a, oh, God, is that really what's happening kind of thing? And maybe if I watch it again the second time, it'll settle a little bit more. But it meant that, like, 
Quill and Gamora were basically at each other the entire time. There was this entire subplot where like everyone just hated Drax. Like uh, Mantis is constantly blowing up at Nebula and Nebula is always criticizing Drax. And it just kept going on and on and on. And then Rocket's just, you know, on a on an operating table for the entire. Like you took a pretty valuable character and put them underneath the knife. I also didn't think that the way that they jumped back and forth between his past worked. Because I, I either got into the into that story and then got pulled out of it to go back to the current bit and then back into it. And I don't know if it would have helped to tell all of that story up front and then put you into the mission or yeah. if he structured it out that way to give you a break from it, because that story is tough. I, I agree. I almost never it's almost never not distracting for me whenever that's the like we're going to keep touching on the flashback, like even in TV which sometimes it's easier to get away with. It's so hard to be like, okay, and now here's this plot line that's it's, it's not convenient because it's clearly being written, but it's, it's, it feels, it takes me out of it because you go, now we're going to reveal this piece of information because of that. Cause it's important to the other story, right? Exactly. And so it's that I never liked that structure and I agree with that. I didn't, I didn't love it in this and I found it. I, I like that story of rocket, origin right and i liked what was happening but i I don't like that structure i just just hate whenever uh, storytellers wait until the very end to tell us information that they deem really important because the end of the story is affected by that information i feel like you know if somehow we'd found a way to know this information at some point earlier within the mcu that even the villain of this would have been made better if you know if if as opposed to oh by the way really quick you know, it's, it's to me, it's like when someone tells you a story and they get to the end and it's like, oh, wait, I forgot this really important detail. Let me go yeah. back to the beginning. Yeah. And then they sort of yeah, fill yeah. you in. You're like, what the hell is going on? It sort of felt like if they would somehow found. And I know that there were little subtle hints. I know that I think yeah. there's a moment, I think, when Quill looks at Rocket without a shirt on and he sees like the bolts and the scars yeah. and stuff on his well, back. There was a little moment that in he's there. an yeah. experiment. Exactly. Yeah. But it felt like this, the specifics of this story. And how that story relates to this big f- final Guardians villain. Uh, just I, I, honestly, I felt like the plot point of two would have been a better conclusion than uh, you know, with, father, with son, ego. Yeah, you know, parent. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's that is a really strong universal thing. I want to mm-hmm. push back on that a, a slightly because I think that for me, I one I think with the villain and Rocket kind of has a line at the end that I think really ties it together, which is that he only sees the bad in people. And that is the villain. Like the villain is simply, yes, he's this mad genius. Yes. Or whatever. But even when you look at rocket and his friends, he failed to see the value in them. He only saw them as a stepping stone to whatever quote unquote perfection was. And then that's sort of blown up in the modern day to, he has these child geniuses that are incapable of original thought and learn of creating anything that hasn't already been discovered, but he's failing to see how, they're they're you know human quote unquote they're whatever they are but they're they're these living creatures that have value beyond this idea in his head and I think that he's that personification of us needing to put ourselves in someone else's shoes seeing things from their perspective and that they they don't exist only in our own eyes um, and I think that's kind of a one a beautiful thing that I think the villain reinforces but with the the team aspect I do think that there's I think that that is certainly intentional because Gamora, the team's broken. Gamora's not there and technically doesn't exist. And Rocket is hurt. And as we know, you know, when we get to the the conclusion of the story, the whole story is leading to Rocket is a better, you're a better leader than I ever was. You Mm -hmm. know, uh, uh, um, 
Star Lord doesn't tell them the plan. He just wants to he just wants to give Groot his guns and go in guns a blazing it, and he just wants to figure it out because he's the cool rock star, and the team, you know, uh, suffers because of it. And I think all of those things are they feel very Guardians, and I think they work because you're like, oh yeah, this is ragtag group that's this motley crew that never quite has a, their ducks in a row, is never quite doing everything right. You know, someone's messing it up, whether it's because they they don't understand something or they're stubborn or whatever. But I think that all kind of reinforces where the movie ends up, which is that Rocket is leading this team and it's in a and it's in a new form than it's ever been. And it's probably stronger than it's ever been because because he's in that position. Let me add uh, two different things. One, I didn't enjoy what they did to Adam Warlock by treating him as a child. Yeah, I don't know anything about Adam Warlock. Yeah. Was he were you expecting him to be? more heroic more, yeah. more fully formed the stuff with the sovereign felt kind of tacked on like they had to include them because he got mentioned at the end of the last one mm-hmm. i feel like he like gun just wanted to do the high evolutionary and just kind of go from there his arc felt um ob- like obvious like it felt like that's where he was going to be redeemed and he was going to be like he was going to have to work with them at some point like very early on that sure felt, See, like, again again it, 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 it all felt very first draft to me it all felt very like okay let me plug it in he'll be around there somewhere but i'll get back to this but and, i do and, and but i do like out. where he ended up like i i i kind of like the sovereign because the whole idea of the sovereign is that they're they're all like children like they're all they're all created in the lab and so they're all you know juvenile in, sure. in everything that they do i don't know i don't have any expectations for who adam warlock is from like source material perspective or yeah, you yeah. Know, so I, I would definitely understand that that if that's such a you know so far off base that that would be jarring i didn't well, love it i thought that he was i thought that i'd be upset if i was him to be in it so little and get that jacked yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was yeah. at the end of the movie and i was right. like huh man he got really fit like <laughs> i guess you know if marvel paid for it good for him but dang and uh, finally, since we're in spoiler territory, um, are you guys surprised that it seems that that uh, Chris Pratt's sticking around? Yeah, I was very That's, surprised by Star-Lord will return. Well, OK, so two, two things. One, I did a brief research and I guess there's like a small run that's called the legendary Star-Lord. OK, so that might be a very specific thing that they're pulling. I don't know more than like that. a Disney Plus show or something. That's what it led. That was me. Is that felt like that's a Disney Plus show that Chris Pratt's going to shoot in two and a half, three weeks. <laughs> like, like, I don't know well, that. But I also think by bringing him back to Earth means that they could plug him into. It might be too late oh. for Secret Invasion, but like he could participate in a Disney Plus Earthbound why, why, show. Why couldn't yeah. they put him in? Well, Secret Invasion. I, I'm sorry. I thought I thought you meant uh, Secret Wars. Like, like yeah. you, there's no chance that like he, he would be like, yeah, I'd come back for one of the big Avengers movies. Yeah, no. That, yes, absolutely. Like, I think by saying that he's going to be back somehow means they've moved him to Earth. He's there now. And if they need him to participate in some way, they don't have to be like, how do we get Quill back? Now he's back. And these. OK, so so what would you have there. preferred? Would you have preferred to see that title card at the end and then for the next few years, kind of wonder oh i wonder how he's going to come back or to be watching secret war or yeah secret wars and then all of a sudden quill pops up and you're like holy shit can't i have both i feel like i feel like his return would have been more surprising right. if we just thought they were done how when is secret Wars supposed to what's the day is that next year or year after 2025 i think it's 2025 yeah i think we've got some time well first it was the kang dynasty but i wouldn't go putting any money down on that one anytime soon Yeah, we might have a new big bad here soon yeah i wouldn't be surprised um all right dynasty um before we get to the tier list uh there was uh oh shit there was a star lord thing that i wanted to ask you um 
Oh, do you think with with some of the guardians that are left over, and and however that works out, are you a little concerned that James Gunn's kind of the only one that can that uses them correctly, like is can really write and direct them as no these especially, characters, or especially do you think not that, that new gonna, iteration. The new iteration yeah. has enough of a, fresh people, a different yeah composition. Yeah, because if you if I remember correctly, it's it's Rocket, it's Groot. It's Sean Gunn. Um, it's uh, Adam Warlock. Adam Warlock, and then the young and girl. And then the young girl from the yeah. Okay, so those five. Who, who does she have? Do all those girls have like some sort of power? Do you know anything about like what her? She kind of like souped up at the end of it, but I don't know. No, I'm not yeah, sure. I'm not sure. It wasn't familiar to me. But it makes it yeah. easier for them to do another Guardians movie if they want to. Which I'm, which I'm kind of into. Like sure. I, I like the Adam Warlock character, and I, I like that actor, and I'm down to discover more of that. I just definitely thought we were going to get more of him. In this. But if I you thought- think if they start doing Fantastic Four, which can also be often cosmic, and they have talked about doing a Nova film, which would be from the Nova Corps, I could very easily see that iteration of the Guardians team showing up at some point in the future. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I just really want a Marvel like. I miss the I miss the the you know animation days cartoon days of like we're just gonna get a fun one off episode this week and they're gonna <laughs> run into some cool stuff and they're gonna fight a bad guy and we're gonna I go know. home and everything's good I just kind of want a nice easy can't do that I, I, I miss when they were good the world ends. <laughs> exactly like that's what away. I'm getting at um, <laughs> do you guys want to you guys want to add this to our tier list real quick let's do yeah. it yes yeah let's do right. it let me pull this up but here's where we stand. <laughs> Here's what every this time will, every time this pops back up this will be interesting i i think i know where we're inevitably going to end up because i i think i know how low you guys are not willing like you wouldn't i don't think you will go as so low um but but we can wow. just dive right into it sean what are where, where do you put it? again this is not relative to this list this right, is how right. do you feel it on your own list where would you put it for me it was a c okay Okay, that's I, I wouldn't go as far as D. There's there's enough stuff that I liked about it that I would not go as far as D. Interesting. Okay, uh, Jake, I'm also gonna say C, which I feel like is being generous. So I kind of just to be on the record want to say C minus. I do agree that D feels harsh. Yeah. Um, but C feel also feels generous. So I'm I'm gonna say um as as we say in this C trending D. My my biggest issue with it is that there are there are chunks of scenes that I know on a rewatch are going to feel like they take an eternity. Yeah, really? Like yeah. The, the the alternate Earth. Everything the- on Counter Earth. Yeah. Um, everything with them taking that girl uh, hostage. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, to get them out of that that shootout, like all of that just took forever from the minute they found yeah. them. Yeah. There are too many moments where I was like looking at the screen, just going, what the hell is going on? Yeah. It's too bad. That's too bad. I loved the f bomb, by the way. That made me laugh. See that to laughs. me, that felt like a stunt. Oh, that was one of my favorite. They, I, I, or or maybe like, I do? Open that, the fucking door. Like it was just I, such I, a. I, like, I, 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 I guess I, I wish that they just movie. hadn't dropped that clip before. I guess that's not that's not oh, James Gunn's fault or the movie's that. fault. I hadn't seen that. I, I'd known going. They 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 released that clip. They talked about it in interviews and everything. Oh, okay, so I guess yeah, maybe if they just hadn't hyped, hyped it up and just put it oh, in dude, the movie. I'm with you. There are four, at least four jokes that I was like, I wish I didn't know that joke. Yeah, see, folks, this is why I try to avoid. Like I didn't see that clip until I got out and I looked it up to see if there. I was like, was there? Have there ever been an f bomb? And then I saw that that clip was out. Yeah. That sucks that they put that on. I'm glad yeah. I didn't run into. So are that. you a B or an A? I it no. legitimately no in my heart no 
And it's hard while looking at this list because this list is so fucked up. <laughs> this is such a messed up looking list. And I'm really trying not to let it influence me because there's someone I'm looking at and I'm like, well, it's definitely better than that. Um, an A feels really high, but a B feels low. <sighs> Isn't that weird? So I, I'm going to err on the side of, of B plus. I think that it's, I think to, to get to an A, I'm going to try to have a little restraint. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed this again. I'm not, I'm not like head over heels with it. It didn't sweep me away. It's not stuck in my head. Um, but I had a really good time with it. And so I'm going to put that at a B. I think that puts us at a C though. It does. Um, yeah. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. We got a B plus and a C minus, and then we got a, a, a dead solid a C. C. Yeah. And we gave um, love and thunder a B. We gave Hawkeye a B. Yeah, we did. Dude, I, Ant Man a B? Yeah, this is better than those. This is better than those. That's what I'm we saying. We gave it's Wakanda hard. Forever an A. <laughs> I like what do you Wakanda have that? Forever. What do you have that? You didn't like that one? It's fine. It's probably a that's, B. That's it's probably a B. Wakanda Forever is a B. It's probably a B. Wakanda Forever is a B. Should we could could we ever go back and do like a okay, we're, I've, we're I've shuffling about this. We're shuffling about this. What if we <laughs> I've thought about this? We should I don't know if Kevin can hear us. I don't know if we can get him back in here. Let's, Kev, can you get in here? What if we each got one veto? Let me, oh. let me, let's, let's close out the, <laughs> then we have to do it for Star Wars as well. We'll see. We'll, we'll talk off air. Let's see if we can. I know what I've, my Star I, Wars veto will be. I have some ideas about us coming back and, and refreshing lists. We're changed right? men. I think but, it's uh, fair to give each of us one change. <laughs> Ooh, but, but how, but, well, I don't know how that would work. Like you would have, you can't just dictate where it goes on the list. Yes. No, what I'm saying is we each get one chance to move oh, something that we're mad about. I'm going to put the Incredible Hulk in the S. I'm just going to move. <laughs> just to cause chaos. If you want to do that, you're All okay. Right. Choose right. chaos. Let's, uh, let's, let's go to a break. Okay. Um, and we'll get out of spoilers. No spoilers moving forward. But we do have some, some Guardians of the Galaxy to discuss in our blend game with our favorite Guardians of the Galaxy characters. Um, so we'll be right back with that. And we are back. OK, so we're staying in the Guardians of the Galaxy universe to play this week's blend game. It's hashtag GOTG blend. Uh, we're not picking favorite movies. We're picking all time favorite Guardians of the Galaxy characters. I'm going to start with Kevin McCarthy of Fox yeah. 5. Kev, where'd you go for your favorite Guardians character? Mine is definitely Rocket. Um, I, I find Rocket to be the most fascinating character. Listen, I love Star-Lord and Gamora and Drax. They're all very interesting. I rewatched the first one over the weekend and and their character introductions are incredible. Like they re- they really are really well. The first movie is so good. So tight. It's so perfect. And un- incredible film. It's like two hours. It's just and even that scene in the, in the beginning when before they all get captured and just like they're fighting over the the what was the that orb. Ball, the orb the orb mm-hmm. and just the, the the way the comedy is infused in the action as to like how they're getting it away from each other before they get beamed up and then the iconic moment of all of them being lined up and yep. saying who they are um rocket to me i'm going to specifically speak up on the first film particularly because i loved the little subtle details of figuring out who he is without getting too explicit into the every aspect of his backstory. Mm -hmm. Um, Like there's aspects of sequences where you see his back or you see certain things and you understand the character has been through a lot, has probably been through torture and harmed in a way. And I think the subtleties of that and the thinking of that 
are what made the character so interesting to me because you understood why, um, the, you know, Rocket acts the way he does. Um, also, I, I just always loved the concept of I want to say Sean Gunn is the one who plays him physically yeah. on set. Mm-hmm. And Bradley Cooper's voice for that character is so interesting and so unique and so it's so unrecognizable, but like such a great choice for the voice and um, the animation used for Rocket is incredible. It just looks fantastic. I know Sean Gunn does a lot of the uh, motion aspect of it, which is what they capture. Um, but Cooper then comes in and kind of really fills the character's emotions in. Uh, and I just find myself so drawn to that character. He's in, you know, it's an they're all outcasts, right? Mm-hmm. They're all coming together. Uh, and that's the beauty of the Guardian story. But there's something special about that rocket story to me and, and the way the character is designed and, the, and, and how he's input into the team. Um, I just found him so fascinating to me. It's like one of the most interesting characters in the entire MCU. Also, he's so badass. Like when he goes into an action sequence, he's awesome like i'm trying to think of the first guardians when they're breaking out of that prison don't him and groot have a whole like action sequence together uh where they're well, he w- catches w- the gun yeah uh, the guy's and he's like, him and he's on groot's shoulder as they so, do like a 360 spin so badass like like so <laughs> badass and then was it the first one where he's like he goes like he, he goes i'm laughing like he makes that joke about how he's like laughing and he goes ha 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 ha, ha. Yeah, that's yeah, very yeah. funny i just like there's just something and i remember I remember finding some behind the scenes footage of Bradley Cooper voicing it. And it's kind of mind blowing. It, it really is. is it sounds of, nothing like him at all. It's insane. Uh, and so I just always loved the arc of that character. Um, it's funny. I was thinking about Yondu because I, I, I think as much as I don't love volume two, as much as I love volume one, um, what made volume two work for me was Yandu's arc and that mm-hmm. storyline and that character. So uh, I'm going to stick with Rocket. I just think he's an, a very fascinating character. I, I, I and particularly in one because you have to fill it in. You have to understand what he's been through just through dialogue. It's kind of like the I am Groot thing, right? Like I am Groot is what he says. But I am Groot is also not exactly what the character means. It's it, it means, you know, that James Gunn would have a separate script for Vin Diesel that had the meanings of every I am Groot. And then we learn what they mean through the actor's dialogue and their reactions. And it's kind of similar to Rocket's backstory. You learn a lot about Rocket's backstory through interactions, through moments, through visuals. And so to me, I just found him to be the most fascinating character in The Guardians. Jake, where'd you go? Uh, I'm going Drax. Uh, and it's because, you know, whenever I was trying to, to sort of quantify which was my favorite, I was looking at a couple of different categories. For me, it was one, uh, the delivery of, of James Gunn's dialogue, uh, the uh, the interaction he has with or the character has with with the other characters in the film. And then also um, how much I enjoyed them outside of the Guardians films, particularly, you know, like in the Avengers films and stuff. And for me, uh, Dave Bautista's performance as Drax is just incredible. Um, his complete lack of awareness, his complete lack of humor and irony makes for some of the funniest moments. I think um, I feel like he really took 
uh, what were just kind of simple ideas on paper and really ran with it. And there were a lot of jokes that I felt like uh, with a, a lesser actor would have gotten old by the end of the first film. But, you know, something as simple as like, you know, I'm invisible and in, in Infinity War, I just thought was phenomenal. Gabe, did you? Oh, yeah. I just rewatched one of my favorites, which is when a man they meet Mantis and she asks, <laughs> she, can, she asks if she can pet their pet uh, dog Rocket, <laughs> and, and he's eating, and he kind of smiles. He goes, "Yes, yes, you can." It's little moments like that, you know. Like he's he's not often like the star of any particular given yeah. moment, but he always is like just accentuates just every moment and makes it better. Like right when you think a moment is landed. He's usually the one that, that sort of crosses the T or dots the I and makes that moment even better. Yeah. Um, but also like I, Rocket, you you're 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 gauging his story through 100%. necessary dialogue. Like 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 one of the cool things about that first movie, especially with Drax, was you learned about his story and, and him losing his wife and child through sequences that made it make sense. And so sure. uh, God, they really Drax is such a great character. He's such yeah, a great. I was character. going back and forth between Drax and Rocket, and to be fair, most yeah. of the things, most of the reasons that I Similar. am giving for choosing Drax, you could put on Rocket and say the exact same thing. Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. you know, it's I'm going back and forth, but I think just in terms of like, I think for me, what gave me the edge for Drax is I feel like I've just laughed out loud more often at uh, at Drax moments. So. Is he is he the one that says why is Gamora? Yes. Yeah. Uh, that that's from one yeah. of the, my favorite lines. Yeah, and again, like part. that's the thing too. Like like he was so great outside of the Guardians movies. He was great in, yeah. in the Avengers. So um, why is Gamora? My choice is is Groot. Um because I feel like Groot has changed so drastically from from movie to movie to movie. Um he starts off as an effect that I think looks better than it does in any of the other ones. Groot in volume 1 looks incredible. Yeah, uh, he does. He, he really, really. I, I rewatched it. I, I was blown away. I was like, "Wow, this is 2014." Like, and it, even it just looks, it. it just looks better. <laughs> it has more detail. It, it, yeah. But, okay, um, but let me let me ask you though, because Gunn has been pretty specific about the fact that that the Groot in Guardians One is yes. not the Groot in the rest of the series. Right. The Groot and Groot are, we're talking about does. two completely different characters. Yes, correct. So, which Groot are you choosing? All of them. I, I'm not. I'm not playing yeah. semantics here. I'm playing saying the semantic character Sean. of Groot. Be, They're two honest, different characters. To be honest, uh, it's so funny. I need to go back and watch my Infinity War interview with Chris Pratt and Zoe Saldana. To pick Sean to to have your back to pick a different a specific Groot would be like picking a specific you know Spider Man suit. Well, yeah, that's that's all. He wrote pick. an Baby entire Groot. book about it. I will yeah. say this. I will He's say this. His next book, folks. Yeah. I am Groot. I am all Groot. I did <laughs> fuck you, Jake. Story. I'm. I did interviews for Infinity War, and I remember asking about the different Groots and kind of what that meant. And until this moment, I actually forgot that there were two different Groots. Yes, <laughs> because that Groot so, dies, and he yeah, sacrifices totally himself, and which really makes beautiful. that scene more heartbreaking when it's, you think about the fact that he and and uh oh my god yeah that makes that scene great and then a quick really quick sidebar which i think is fascinating did you guys ever uh hear james gunn say i think it was james gunn that in uh when rocket raccoon is disappearing in infinity war 
and no. Groot is saying something. Groot like, is disappearing. Oh, Groot, Groot is disappearing. And he's reaching and when out he says, to Rocket. I, and he says, I am Groot. That, yeah. that translates into like dad. Dad. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, my God, my heart. Yeah, I know. That's why Infinity War is the best Marvel movie. But, but and it, the I am Groot dialogue stuff is crazy. It's so fantastic. Cool. Well, and that's the thing. That's a joke that should have run out of steam and is still funny to this day. And I'll even say that like th- even three figures out a way to make it funny in a different right, way. Yeah. Yeah, so, but like right from the time that Groot sacrifices himself, they show baby Groot in the pot dancing when the opening sequence, which is great. Is that that James doing the dancing? Yeah, yeah. he he did all the choreography. Yeah, Yeah. Um, the opening of of Guardians 2 when when Groot's baby Groot's dancing around. uh, as the rest of the Guardians fight is hilarious. The opening in two is so good. It's It's a wonder. Yeah, such so a good. great it's such a great yes. Warner. Three great. has a great Warner in it too for the folks who are who are listening oh, through who didn't know it's still Brooklyn. <laughs> it's a, I mean it's a it's a it's a Warner with stitches. Yeah. But it is so good. Anyway. Sorry, Kev, what were you saying? Oh, no, no, no. I was just saying I remember interviewing Gunn for Guardians 2 and he basically said that Vin Diesel comes in for one day. That's it. <laughs> One one day also and does all the I am Groots and essentially he does, them, what, he does them in different languages, too, for them. Right. He doesn't he do a lot of the localization. I think I read. I, th- I, I don't know about that, but I know that I know that Vin Diesel is the only other actor who gets a separate script with the I am Groot meanings. Apparently, the oh, other actors don't get those. Yeah. And I think that that the dialogue is meant to. That's how you figure out what the I am Groots are. But I'm pretty sure Vin Diesel gets a special script. He said him and me and Vin and I are the only ones who have it. Essentially, what he said, this is at least this is Guardians 2. And then next to the I am Groot is the explanation of what it means. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And so then, and so love, then Vin delivers it. Yeah. That like way. that moment in Infinity War when, he, when he's like a little teenage, like a little brat teenager. He's like, I am Groot. And all that's like, my yeah. favorite one. That's my like, favorite Whoa. one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, when yeah. he goes into, I think it's the end of the, the credits in two when Quill comes into his room and he's like, clean yeah. up this mess. He's like, I am Groot. <laughs> <laughs> it's honestly, you're, you're so right, Sean. That should not work yeah. as well as it has for as long as it has. Just keeps and working. It still yeah. is. It, it's it's a brilliant, brilliant idea. Also, I still think one of the greatest moments in Infinity War is Groot chopping off his arm to make the oh, handle, yeah. the handle of Stormbreaker. Oh. And and then and then Thor God, comes I remember when Marvel used to be good. I know. Wasn't that long ago? They can still find their way. It's just they're on it was a, a different. It was a different world. On a rough patch. We All were right. different people. Audience pixels. Uh, Matt Karen went with the collector. That's an interesting choice. And, and oh, Del Toro. Really yeah, yeah. Wow, he's a great Dude, character. I forgot how good he was. Uh, dude, yeah. go back if you haven't seen the first one on Disney Plus. I rewatched yeah. it recently. It's so it's good. So it's great. great. That's good. Uh, Ezra went says always and forever rocket. Uh, Carrie yeah. says they are very pumped for Cosmo. I think you will like Cosmo in number three. The dog. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Ray great. Perkins says uh, Yondu. So some love for some love for Rooker. Oh wait, there's even more. I'm sorry. Uh, Cody also says easily Nebula. Philip Addison says Kevin Bacon. All right. I'll go with Kevin Bacon. That works. All right. Next week on Twitter, you can use hashtag summer flop blend. Explain to me what we're doing with summer flop blend. Like flip flops? Like flip flops? Yeah, that's what we're looking for. Yeah, I'm looking for for some good flop. Purchase advice for my uh, summer wares. No. So you're you're gonna have to do a little research and you're gonna have to find your favorite movie that flopped in the summer. Summer blockbuster, some summer release. That uh, did not do well, 
but you still love Oppenheimer Jake Independence and Day. Oh, you better hope it's not. Well, so so <laughs> Gabe and I were talking about this, and, okay. and like a, a good example that is very much in your wheelhouse lately, Sean, is uh, Hudson Hawk. Oh, bombed. Oh, so, okay. So those, so we were. Is that um, Coen Brothers or the Hudsucker Proxy? That's yeah, Hudson Hudson Proxy. That, Hudson Hawk is very much not Coen Brothers. No, I know. <laughs> I always get those two confused. Do you ever have like brain farts where two or, things exist? Well, even as, like as today, the same thing? I, uh, I I covered the 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 TV version of as you did as well, Kevin. Uh, Fatal Attraction, and I was I admitted on TV how often I confuse Fatal Attraction and Basic Instinct. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I often I often have to pause and go. One's the bunnies. One is Sharon Stone in the chair. But that show premiered last Sunday, right? The first three episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ooh, I'm gonna get back onto some Yellow Jackets. That is what I'm gonna do. Oh, Wait, I'm behind on Yellow Jackets. To go way Barry, please, you guys, I beg you to watch Barry. I beg you so much to please to watch Barry. I'm I'm watching Succession. I can't watch Barry. Oh, they literally one literally Wait. comes on after the other. Didn't yes, the director yeah. of Coda make an appearance this yeah, week? Yeah, she's great. And she plays herself, right? Yeah. Is it, uh, yeah. Is, and she makes fun of superhero movies. On Barry? That's right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. But the best part Bill is Hader Guillermo the del Toro playing a like a, a villain <laughs> called the Toro. Yeah, he's fantastic. Fun. He's really good. You're like, damn. He's really okay. good. All right. Well, listen. Yeah. Okay. Gabe, and you'll, you'll know what I mean when I say this. One of my favorite like cuts in television is cutting to a sweaty Fred Armisen just looking nervous. Oh, God. And that is the <laughs> hardest that I've laughed. That show is so freaking weird, dude. But it, it is so dark and crazy. And then it'll cut to that. And you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, this is a comedy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah. This is, Before this people be get their heads blown off, you're like laughing. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. All right, there's your television recommendation segment for the week. <laughs> All the shows that we're trying to catch up Watch on. Watch them before they run out of scripts. And then yeah, also, yeah, no joke. follow us on social media. At Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach, and the show is at Real Blend. We'll be back and next take, week. Take the whole family to see Bo is Afraid. You know what, Kev? It's probably better than Guardians in double, terms double, of for your du- children. <laughs> Double feature with uh, Bo's Afraid and Mario. I think it's a really good idea. <laughs> Bring an extra can of paint in case anyone gets hungry. Imagine a poor child who, like, their young brain, they grow up and those two movies meld together. And so they're like, I don't know. They're both the same thing. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Oppenheimer. Bar- Barbie. Barbie. Oppenheimer. In- Indiana Jones? Into the Spider-Verse mark? is coming soon. Indiana Jones. James Bengold? Oppenheimer. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.